0: Live from Southern California. This is the Jim Rome show. I'm going to give you my thoughts on
1: what I saw yesterday between Memphis and Golden State. Starting with you, Memphis. How you living right about now? I would imagine not as well as you were prior to that game. I would imagine not as well as you were throughout that game because you just had your hearts ripped out of your chest. That was some championship DNA that was on display yesterday, and it was shown by the guys in the blue and the yellow. Memphis just got noticed that they are not playing the two wolves anymore. On the road, down 13, without Draymond Green for the second half, multiple guys also in foul trouble, and yet Golden State still found a way to win. That's what they mean by championship DNA. And they didn't just win it with their offense— They won it with their defense. Back-to-back, huge defensive stance. You had Steph Curry doing this to John Morant. Here's
0: Morant in the front court. Comes to the left side, 25 seconds to go. Here's Morant driving on Curry, goes up, lost the ball. Poole comes up with it. Poole has it with 19 seconds to go. They get it to Curry.
1: And then after that play, Curry was yelling at the Warriors bench, quote, I locked that bleep up. He did. Hey, man, is it me or is Steph just so much stronger? Just so much stronger than he was. He came back physically so much stronger. And he did lock that bleep up. That was a hell of a stop against one of the most explosive players in the game. And he did it with five fouls. And then after Klay Thompson somehow missed both free throws, that would have given Golden State a three-point lead. The Warriors came up huge on D again.
0: Finding Clark. Clark bounce pass over to Morant. He'll drive in. Scoop is up. No good. Rebound. Wink the Warriors win! The Warriors win! Memphis got the look they wanted, and Morant couldn't finish it. And Golden State captures game one with Draymond Green in the locker room.
1: Warriors did win. Klay Thompson buried the go-ahead three and then came up huge defensively to end that game. Again, championship DNA. Jordan Poole came this close to a 30-point triple-double championship DNA. And he doesn't even have a championship. And the Grizz learned what Jeff Green learned in the last round. The mother bleeper is still good as bleep. That whole mother bleeping team is still good as bleep. Even if they had a double-digit lead on them, even if Draymond was ejected, they're still good as bleep. And they did not let go of the rope at all. And, man, what a gut punch for Memphis. If ever there was a game to win, it was that game. At home, big lead, completely jacked-up crowd. Draymond ejected. And they still lost. They could have been up one nothing. They could have really put some pressure on Golden State going into game two. Instead, it was Golden State who ripped it from them and the home court. And that's going to leave a mark. Because Memphis did have everything going for them. They got the game of a lifetime from Jaron Jackson Jr. They had a chance to throw down an early marker and make a statement. And yet, Golden State ripped it. And the really painful thing is... Golden State didn't even play their best game. Far from it. In part, that's because Draymond was not around in the second half. So why don't we take a moment and talk about that ejection? Why don't we take a moment and talk about the refs? Because the refs did not have that championship DNA. The refs didn't even have preseason DNA. I don't know if it was the pressure of the moment or if they're just not good, but they melted. They imploded. And I'm never going to be that guy who complains about the refs. It's cheap, it's easy, it's convenient. But man, they were bad. They were as bad as they can be. I mean, when they're as bad as they were yesterday, you have no choice but to talk about them because they really were that brutal. For instance, starting with the ejection itself. Clark inside is fouled. They're going to
2: look at that one as clock went down. Draymond Green immediately went to look to help him up. That's going to be a flag. Oh, no. no. Yep. I agree. No question. Draymond Green running around the floor. James Williams told him. And Steve Kerr's reaction. Yep. He's going back L-D. to the locker room. Yeah. Wow. That is a huge call.
0: That's review. The foul's been upgraded to a flagrant foul penalty too. Draymond Green has been ejected for the windup the face, impact in the face, to follow through for the jersey, and the throw down to the ground. Wow.
1: So, that was no snap decision either. They reviewed that. They reviewed that and ruled it a flagrant two, which results in an ejection. Now, I'm going to review it and say that it's a bullcrap call. That's my review. According to Anthony Slater, Curry told the refs, quote, that's Effing crazy. End of quote. And I'm going to tell all of you, I agree. That's effing crazy. Honestly, you cannot run somebody in the playoffs for that. I understand that Draymond's got a history, I understand that he's got a rep, but you can't ref based on that. You want to say he made contact with the head? Fine. But he was holding his jersey to keep him upright, he wasn't trying to drag him to the ground by the jersey. I mean, that part's absurd. Now, I'm not going to be the one who comes in here and complains that the game is not called the way it was back in the 90s because it's not called the same way because it's a different game and it's a better game right now. I'm fine with that. That call was not about the game being soft now, that call was about the refs being horrible now, or at least in that spot. You can't eject that guy for that, and you certainly cannot eject a star player in the playoffs. For that. You can't be ejecting a star player for that in a playoff game. You can't. But that's exactly what they did. And that's a reputation thing more than anything else. If that were any other player not wearing 23 and blue who did that, I sincerely doubt that guy's getting ejected. And if they are, it's not going to swing the game the way it could have. See, that's what the refs have to know. You can't be running star players like that and potentially swinging a game or an entire series. The playoffs are going to be more physical. We know this. See, that's got ripple effects because if they don't knock that down on appeal and then he gets stuck with a flagrant two on his record, that means one more during the playoffs and he's suspended. There are two points on that. If he gets another flagrant two, during the playoffs, then he gets a one-game suspension, and it wasn't just the ejection. I mean, I mean that was a bad enough call, as it were. But what about their work on this call? This is both rebound deflected, knocked
0: out of bounds, and the officials looking at each other, and they're going to jump it up. Neither team has a challenge.
1: The officials are looking at each other. And they're going to jump it up. Again, final seconds of a playoff game. The ball goes out of bounds. And somehow, none of the three blind mice could make a call. And the officials looking at each other. How the hell does that happen? Yeah, what the hell? What did you see? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. What did you see? I don't know. I thought you had it. What did you see? I don't know. Now what? Let's just jump it off. They decided to go with a jump ball. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty for saying that none of you saw it. But how can you not see it? You can't not see it. You have to see it. That's your job. You're there to see who the ball goes off of and make the call. At least one of you, all right? Yeah, I get it. We're human. We don't get everything. All right, but there are three of you. How did at least one of you not see that? How can you not? I mean, if that's how you're going to roll, if that's the way it's going to be, we may as well just call it jump ball on every single play. Block or charge. Block or charge. I don't know. What you see? I don't know. What did you see? I don't know. Hell, jump it off.
3: And the Block or charge. Jump other.
1: ball. Hey, was that three seconds in the paint? I don't know. Oh, man, again? Yeah, who cares, man? Jump ball. You want to talk about shrinking from the moment. You're there to make a call in the moment. That's the job. And these guys are just throwing up their hands like, hell if I know. Yeah, I know being a ref has never been tougher because now guys are bigger and they're faster and they're more explosive. I understand that. But if you can't keep up, if you can't make the calls, you can't be a ref. So if you can't keep up and you can't make the calls, then you can't be out there. Go do something else. Go ref intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals. I miss that. Boy, it has been a long time since we've gone back to that. Alvin, I would love for you to check your records and figure out the last time we actually heard that on this show. If you can't keep up and you can't determine who that ball went off of, man, go ref intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals. Go ref intramurals, brother. So the Warriors, in the end, did lock that bleep up. They did show their championship DNA. The refs, on the other hand, showed clown DNA. I like Draymond. Draymond was great. Draymond admitted afterwards, hey, man, I don't know. I was dumb enough to think it wasn't even going to be a flagrant one, much less a flagrant two.
2: I'm actually dumb enough to think I wasn't going to get a flagrant one. Talk about an idiot. You want to call anybody an idiot. Look no further than Draymond Green himself. You know what's crazy? As I was about to start dancing to the crowd saying, kick him out, kick him out, to taunt them because it's like, kick him out for that. So I was about to start dancing. And when I was literally starting to edge up off the scores table, something said to me, but it's you involved in this play, Draymond. (laughs) So because it's you involved in this play, you probably shouldn't dance because you probably should always expect the unexpected. And so the little birdie that sits on my shoulder nowadays told me, hmm, just wait a second, don't get up and dance and make fun of them. Because if you get up and dance and make fun of them, sure enough, you're then not expecting the unexpected. And if you're not expecting the unexpected, very soon they'll probably be able to make fun of you.
1: Oh, that is so good. That is an amazing rant. That was part of his, quote, emergency pod. The Draymond Green podcast. That is amazing. Like, he laid down that pod after he got kicked out. That is perfect. Perfect. I was going to jump up and mock and taunt the crowd when they were chanting, throw him out, throw him out, quote, Always expect the unexpected.
2: Always expect the unexpected.
1: But then he said, I should have expected the unexpected. Because it was me. And I was dancing. I'm going to say it again. I love Draymond Green. I'm not saying that to say that. I'm not saying that to be a honk for Golden State. I love the guy. I've always loved the guy. Always expect the unexpected. What Memphis needs to do now is expect another mother bleeper of a game tomorrow. Expect the unexpected, but expect the expected. And expect greatness from Raymond Ritter, who's going to deliver Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole has been unbelievable. So we'll have that coming up next. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Or Trapper, what's your beef? Jordan Poole is my guest. Jordan, it is great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to have you. Thanks for making time for us. So you beat Memphis on the road by one after trailing by 13 at one point. After the game, Steph Curry was talking about how the team has, quote, championship DNA, end of quote. You're in the middle of this thing. Can you kind of describe what that championship DNA looks and feels like to you?
4: Yeah, being able to have you know guys who uh, who've been on championship runs and been on championship teams, Andre and Steph and Clay, um, you know, and even uh, long-term members on the country staff, they know what it takes, you know, to get there. They know how meticulous things need to be. The details, you know, position or uh, possessions that really matter. Um, so just little small details like that. Just because everything matters in the playoffs. Uh, being able to look behind you and uh, you know, have the confidence in these guys have been there before it makes it a lot easier.
1: Well said. Jordan Poole is joining us. So you're on the road, and let's face it, the refs were not exactly doing you guys any favors. Draymond Green gets ejected. Seems to me that even with that DNA, that championship DNA, it might have been easy to lose focus, maybe even let go of the rope. What did you make of the ejection, and then what was the mood like in the locker room
4: at halftime? Um, in terms of the ejection, we I personally didn't think it was going to be a flagrant two. I mean, I think everybody kind of you know has a sense that hard fouls happen in the playoffs, and um, you know it was just a a quick on ball play. Um, but they gave him in a, a flagrant two, ejected them, and we kind of been up and down all year. You know, we've been through a couple rough patches, and you know that's where we really found out who we were as a team, and um, we were able just to play through that, bounce back through the adversity, and we know it's going to be tough. You no, know, just because it's the playoffs, we're on the road, Um, and, you know, we're getting every team's best fun, so being able to find ways to just, you know, close out uh, big games against a really good team on the road, especially in the playoffs, was big for us.
1: We're talking to Jordan Poole, you know, Jordan, you had 17 points and six assists in the second half alone. Steph Curry said this about you. He said, quote, he hasn't been on this stage before. It's not something you can teach in terms of being ready for a moment like this, end of quote. So my question is, how have you been ready for the moment time and time again when you haven't necessarily been in the moment before, at least not on a stage like this?
4: I mean, just asking asking questions, you know, and um, trying to simulate the best possible way I can to put myself in that position when the time comes, you know, and uh, being around the teammates that, that I have and, you know, the... Amazing team that we had. We knew it was gonna be a matter of time. You know, the last two years we didn't make the playoffs but you know, in those two years I was able to gain as much knowledge as possible on the court, off the court. Um, you know, mentally, physically and uh, you know, even strategically to you know, try to be best prepared as possible to, you know, step up for Uh, big moments in the playoffs, you know, and and whenever my team needs me.
1: Talking to Jordan Poole, you did it again yesterday. In fact, you were this close to a 31-point triple-double, so obviously you can score with the best of them, but how much of your approach is just to go out there and be a playmaker? Like, at this point, how would you summarize your role in the offense?
4: Um, Just be aggressive. You know, the the coaching staff and uh, the guys on the team trust me to go out there and uh, just be who I am, play my game and, uh, you know, be able to attack and be aggressive any time with the ball, but um, I'm also just a team player, you know, and trying to put uh, these guys like Steph, Draymond, you know, Clay, Wiggs, uh, Loon, and, you know, really good situations to just make it easy for them, you know, to play to their strengths, to get easy buckets, to be able to get step off the ball a little bit to get uh, Clay and catch-and-shoot opportunities, you know, or easy mismatch post-ups. So, um, just being a team player, because at the end of the day, all that really matters is winning. You know, and uh, luckily I have a, you know, the keys to the offense to, um, you know, kind of just play my game.
1: Talking to Jordan Poole, you know, it's interesting what you just said about the goal is just to be a team player. I get that, I understand that. But against the Nuggets, for instance, Draymond referred to you as the team's quote number one option. All right, that that's really high praise coming from Draymond, given the other guys on that team. How would you describe the relationship you have with him?
4: <laughs> yeah. Draymond is Draymond is a big bro. I mean my first my first year as soon as I came in, you know, he took me under his wing and um he made sure that my locker was next to his and any questions that I had or um anything that I needed to know I could just go to Draymond, whether it was in the locker room, on the road, um, you know, just casually hanging out, you know, and so being able to have somebody who, you know, accepts me how he does and you know, wants to see me succeed and, you know, is very willing to answer any questions that I have, makes it a lot easier just to um, build that relationship, build that chemistry, you know, especially having a little, a couple years of an age differences, uh, it makes it a lot easier.
1: I'm talking to Jordan Poole for a few more moments. Listen, it's just me on the outside looking in, but it seems to me you have really worked your ass off since you got drafted and before that as well. I'm curious, where does that work ethic and that love of the grind come from?
4: <laughs> um, me and my, me and my, uh, my, uh, my friend Raylan talk about this all the time. You and, know, and I think it's just the Midwest grind. You know, it's cold and it's ten degrees all winter. And you know, you just got to find a way to get up and just continue to get going. And you know, being from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just it's kind of something that just has been built to me and instilled to me. Um, you know, and I just happen to love the game. So now that I'm able to do this for, you know you know, twenty four hours a day it makes it uh makes it pretty fun to go in there and just find ways to get better, you know, on the court and um, you know, whether it's film or you
1: know, like I said, asking questions. Hey Jordan, it's kind of counterintuitive when you say that. Give me I'll give you an example. Like, you talk about that Midwest grind, that it's 10 degrees out there, you got to grind. And I'm not in any way trying to compare you to my high school son, but I've got, you know, we're California natives. We sent yeah. our older son to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he made it clear, and that's the kid who likes to get in, throw the weights around a little bit. He said, Dad, yeah. it's tough, man. It's tough when it's 10 degrees. We don't want to go outside. We don't want to yeah. go to the gym. So it's kind of counterintuitive, right, what you're saying. How did you flip that on its head is that just a way of telling yourself look you have to do the things you don't want to do in order to make it because it does seem counterintuitive to me
4: yeah i mean you just you just can't you can't stop you know it's going to be tough and you're going to face adversity and uh it's going to be hard but you know you're able to just push through that and make it make it a part of who you are make it a part of your routine you know it just becomes natural and over time everything will take care of itself
1: all right, so this is interesting. You've been talking about how one of the ways that you got yourself to the place where you are right now is just by asking questions and looking at the guys around you. So I know you're not looking to make it about you. That said, earlier this season, James Weissman adopted a couple of cats and said that you were the inspiration behind that. For people who do not know, what are the names of your cats and how long have you had them?
4: Yeah, um, I, have a, I have a cat named Coda, a big Coda, Cocoa uh, Toast. And then I got a couple of cats at home that, uh, that my, uh, my parents, uh, have at their house, but I had them for, you know, a couple of years since I got out to the day. Um, and, uh, you know, they're they're pretty awesome. I heard you're a cat guy yourself.
1: Dude, I am a cat guy myself and I'm not going to (laughs) apologize. Not only am I not going to apologize for it, man, I'm all about it. I'm about that life. Help me explain to them. Look, if they don't get it, they don't get it. You and I aren't going to convince them of it, but what are people missing that are constantly cracking back on cats? And we're, I mean, cats are cool. Cats are smart. Cats yeah. are fun. Like, what do you get out of the relationship with the cats?
4: Yeah, I definitely love animals first and foremost. So it's not like a, I'm a, more of a cat than a dog guy. Right, But right. it has always been a lot easier to, you know, maintain for a cat. You know, all you have to do is give them water, clean a little box every couple of days, and they kind of just do their thing. You know, like, they come to you whenever they want to be, pet or they want to chill or they want to cuddle but other than that they just kind of roam around the house you know and they don't mind you like they don't bug you they're not you know making noise all the time um i mean they're just it's the the level of maintenance is just is really low and it makes it really easy when you're always on the road to go to games and you're gone for weeks at a time um so yeah it's, they uh it's i don't know it's pretty dope <laughs> preach <laughs> dude nice.
1: Preach, dude. That's exactly what that is. Just because we like cats or love cats does not mean we're anti-dog. There is something right. to be said. That's, hey, by the way, this is the biggest reason why I'm a cat guy more than a dog guy, at least a cat owner. It, the maintenance is not as great. Mm-hmm. It's easier, and they're cool as bleep. So, you and I are on the same page. Listen, one last <laughs> thought. You And I appreciate that. I appreciate that about you. You transferred from King High, last thought, in Milwaukee to prep school in Indiana, where you were teammates with Jaron Jackson Jr., who is now in Memphis. I'm curious, what was that time in Indiana like in terms of being away from home at a young age? And then, how much did that prepare you for playing at Michigan?
4: Um, yeah, being able to make the decision. Uh, to go to prep school my senior year. I had already committed my junior year, um to go to Michigan. And it was just more so to get prepared, um, lifestyle wise, living by myself, living in the dorm, um, time management, having to get up and go to class on time or go to practice and, you know, etc. and um Jaren is Jaron is my brother, man, and uh it's actually crazy to see that we're going against each other in our playoff series right now and um it's just really fun to be a part of because, you know, we talked about this in our dorm rooms, you know, every single day. And we even went to rival colleges. So being able just to just, uh, you know, grind with him every single day, you know, in, in high school and um, to see every everything that he's done um, and the, the impact that he's had and to play against him on the highest uh is amazing. But, you know, we just kind of prepared each other and, Um, always pushed each other and we we got to Michigan and he went to Michigan State you know we just found ways to continue to keep grinding and you know took that hard work uh, ethic and approach and you know applied it to where we are now. It's a
1: really cool anecdote a really cool conversation and Jordan I appreciate this so much I understand this time of year especially it's tough to make time for things like this so I really appreciate you doing it great to have you on the show thank you very much man great talking to you. No
4: problem, man. Thanks for having me. Have a
1: great day, Jordan. Really appreciate you. Jordan Poole, another cat guy. Hey, guys, why don't we talk about something that you probably don't think about very often, but you should. Skincare. Skincare. can be complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. That's where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every box comes with an instruction card. Every box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. It's that simple. In fact, you know what? Start with the Level 1 system because that is the easiest way to get it going. And it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin. The products included are a face wash, an exfoliating scrub, an AM moisturizer, and a PM moisturizer, a daily face wash to get rid of the dirt, and grime on your skin and two times per week exfoliating scrub to get rid of the dead skin cells plus the am moisturizer rules and the pm moisturizer helps your skin stay hydrated and healthy throughout the entire night i love it now i've got a plan now i've got a process now i've got a product and you should too and especially right now, because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring this episode and they're offering an amazing deal. Just go to slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T I E G slash Rome. An amazing deal. slash Rome. All right. So, what I'm getting at is this you've got the Celtics, they come running into the second round, coming off their sweep of the Nets. They got some time off. They were well-rested. They came into the second round feeling pretty damn good about themselves. And why wouldn't they? They were as good as any team in the NBA over the last several months on both ends of the floor. Of course, they felt good about themselves. They felt great. Why shouldn't they? Only to get punched in the face repeatedly by the Greek freak. Repeatedly. And by the way, so did everybody else who continues to doubt this guy. It's crazy to me that people still want to talk junk or people still want to talk down or even hate on a two-time MVP who dropped 50 in a finals closeout game. Like, somehow this guy still has something to prove. Like, there might be an asterisk on that or he somehow fluked his way to it. Or there's still some question about this guy's greatness. Like, he's not a killer. He's not an assassin. What, because he's a good guy? This dude had a terrible shooting day yesterday for him and still went 24, 13, and 12. The dude's out here dropping a triple-double on a great Celtics defense, and he's doing stuff like this to them. Tentacumpo,
2: Williams, stout defense, threw it to himself. Oh, he's eviscerating the Celtics inside. Wow.
1: I mean, I'm telling you, Picked up his dribble, went off the glass with the self alley-oop. I mean, it was pretty hilarious and pretty embarrassing if you're a Celtic. I mean, that's like a dad playing in the driveway with a bunch of six-year-olds throwing it off the backboard to himself. Except the guy just did it to the best defensive team in the NBA. And let's not act like he was close to the basket when he did it either. I mean, the guy was like the free throw line extended and still pulled that off. And then after the game... Refused to say that it was anything other than just blind luck and blessing. I had the ball, and I was like, "Oh
2: crap, uh, I'm going to get stuck." You know. And then uh, threw it to the backboard. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough that uh, God blessed me with uh, the ability to be able to,
4: uh, you know, jump, have a quick jump and go get it again, and I was able to uh, finish the play.
1: It's a great quote. He's like, "Oh crap, I'm stuck." Credit to the Celtics. I mean, they did make it hard on him. Really hard. He had one of the worst playoff shooting performances of his career. But the guy still ended up with a triple-double. That's how you know you're not playing against KD and the part-timer. Because even if Giannis is struggling struggling from the field, he's going to find other ways to impact the game. And I want to be very clear about this. I'm not saying that that series is over. The Celtics are a damn good team. And they do have matchup advantages in that series. And it is a game of matchups. The Bucks are still without Chris Middleton for the entire series. But that's entirely why that loss was so bad for the Celtics. Again, you come into that game, you've had plenty of rest, you're playing a team that's missing an Olympian, and you get beaten by double digits at home. You can't do that. You can't cough up the home court that easily. If you're going to lose, at least go down swinging. But the Celtics didn't even do that. They didn't just lose that game. They weren't even prepared for that game. Not even close. Ask any of them. It's not me sitting here with some hot take. They've said as much themselves. You know what they were prepared for? They were prepared for the Nets or something Nets-like. They were prepared for a team that as soon as it got tough, would just pack it in or fold or a team that would feel sorry for itself or start pointing the finger. Because they were missing a key piece. They weren't prepared for the defending world champs. They weren't prepared for the Bucs. They showed up looking like a team that just expected to cruise into the conference finals, like a team that read its own clippings and started listening to a lot of local sports talk. They get out to a lead in the first quarter, seem to think, all right, it's exactly how we thought it was gonna go. This game is over. Then they got punched in the mouth and spent the rest of the game trying to pick their teeth up off the parquet. No penetration, none at all. Couldn't get anything going towards the basket and had to take 50 threes. I don't think they went into that game thinking, hey man, if we can jack it up 50 times from beyond the arc, there's no way we lose. They made 10 baskets in the paint total. If you didn't know that Drew Holiday can play some defense, man, that's on you. If you didn't know that Javon Carter can bang and Brooke Lopez can alter a shot or a 10 in the paint, that's also on you. If you didn't know that you were playing the defending champs and not the Nets, that's on you. I mean, they played like they forgot that the Nets were a 7-seed. They played like they just swept a finals favorite instead of sweeping one of the most dysfunctional teams ever. I know they're going to spin it like it's only one game and they had a terrible offensive performance, so they should expect to lose a game like that. My point is, you can't lose a game like that. You can't be that unprepared for a game like that, especially when you're a team with that kind of pride that's played as well as it has for the last several months. You can't be surprised. How were the Celtics surprised against the Bucks? You can't be. They're the defending world champs. You're in the second round. How did you not know they had that in them? How did you not know you are playing Giannis? So the Celtics players and coaches can't be like fans. who don't know how good this guy is or how good that team is. Even without Middleton, they've got a ring. They've got a banner. They didn't fluke their way to those things. Man, show a little respect. Or, or you know what? Don't. Don't, and then lose the series. The good news is, now you know what you're up against. The bad news is, now you have to deal with what you're up against. And you lost the home court. Man, the obstacle is Giannis and the Bucks, and the only way is through. The future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there's the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or, for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. If you're more of a spontaneous road trip type of person, then hop in the Nissan Pathfinder. And, for something more electric, there's the stylish Nissan Aria. So, let's enjoy the ride. 2023 z not yet available for purchase expected availability this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria he is Charles Robinson Charles what's going on man how are you
3: I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing?
1: Doing so well. Great to have you back. Thanks for making time for us. The NFL draft is over. I thought you had a great piece up. A great piece up going into the draft where a number of people around the league told you nobody knew what the hell was going to happen. So big picture, what do you make of how that first round went and then overall how the entire draft played out?
3: You know, I, I think it kind of played out how teams thought it would in terms of the quarterback class being weak and, you know, everybody who as it got closer, you had some individuals are like, well, we always say this about weak quarterback classes. And then some guys all push up to the top or push into the first round. And, and it just didn't happen this year. It was, it was every bit as weak as um, you know, I think early assessments had you know told us it would be. And interestingly enough, the, the only quarterback goes in the first round, Kenny Pickett gets taken by the team that probably knew him better than any single team knew a quarterback in this draft because he's one door away for years so, um, you know, I thought it was interesting just from the standpoint of how the quarterback stayed true to what the assessments were months and months ago. Um, You know, the Patriots kind of going uh sideways and, and doing their own thing with, you know, multiple picks and really surprising, I, I think, a number of teams. Cole Strange coming off at the end of the first round. And, you know, we all saw Sean McVay's reaction to that and, and Les Neymar was a pretty funny piece of video. But uh I talked to other teams and they were just like, wait, <laughs> That was what we thought. We were saying the same things, and we didn't even need to be lubricated to say it on video. <laughs> we we were uh, just completely stunned by some of the things the Patriots did in this draft. Um, look, this is all this is doing is foreshadowing next year, which is going to be a wicked quarterback draft. I mean, there could be five, six guys. You start with you know C.J. Stroud, um, Bryce Young. I, it's going to be a loaded quarterback class next year, and I think you're going to see a number of teams that weren't able to address it this year or prepare for it will be jockeying next year um, for, for a position for some big names.
1: Charles Robinson is joining us. So you hit on a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Number one, I want to get your reaction to the Patriots taking Cole Strange, but you already gave me that. And then you also talked about Sean McVay and Les Snead's reaction to it and then how they were, quote, lubricated. <laughs> I mean, is there any, any doubt in your mind if, that those two guys were lubricated? And believe me, this I love both those guys. But if, in fact, they were... How could they be on draft night? But then again, part of me thinks that the draft would be so much better if more guys were.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, look, they're aided by the fact that they were able to sit there through the first round and not have to worry about having a pick. There was no, I mean, just because of the lack of of draft capital, there was really no chance that they were going to be able to get into the first round. And not only that, I mean, you're not going to give up a future first, and they'd have to go deep, deep to give up a future first, even to get into the first round plus this isn't it wasn't a year you really wanted to to force your way up into a first round if you didn't have um a number one pick so yeah i i think there's no question that they have that draft house in malibu they were enjoying themselves and uh you know they were able to prep after that press conference later uh you know for when their first picks were coming up on the board yeah it's there's i love those guys to death i do i have no question that they were broing it out that day and, and having some fun and uh, felt pretty loose when when they had their commentary about the uh, Patriots pick but you didn't that's the thing you didn't have to be you didn't have to have a few beers did, to be surprised
1: right and and they had nothing else to do I agree with you they had nothing else to do so why not bro it out at a great Malibu house and you're right you didn't have to have a few to be surprised everybody was Charles Robinson's joining us speaking of the quarterback so we know that Lamar Jackson thought or what he thought about how the first round played out. But if you're Ryan Tannehill and you just saw A.J. Brown leave, how are you feeling right about now?
3: Well, I mean, you know, Ryan didn't show up for the, the start of the voluntary stuff this offseason, which I thought was interesting. And I think when you look at his contract situation, you know he was already looking, you know, he has to be already looking for um, probably a reworked situation to give him um, some knowledge that hey, I'm going to be around beyond just 2022. Because the, the simple fact of the matter is, the Titans could potentially exit this deal after 2022. They could turn uh, the franchise into a, a, a different direction with the quarterback. And now, not having AJ Brown in the fold is, I mean, it's just massive. It's huge. There's, uh, I, I mean, look, I know you go out and, and you 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 draft a wide receiver in the first round. It's not going to be a one to one, you know, for the player that you just gave up and. Um, I'd be a little nervous, you know, if I was Ryan Tannehill, how that offense is going to function without a true blue, solid, dependable number one. And then not only that, you, you see them take Malik Willis in the third round, which, you know, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to threaten Ryan Tannehill in any way, shape or form initially, but, um, it's, it's a shaken up offense, uh, from a team that had a really poor playoff performance from their quarterback. And, you know, I'd be nervous when, uh, next year starts to know that, the wide receivers are a little more depleted, and you got some company in the quarterback room from a guy who some teams thought was a first-round pick.
1: Right. Charles Robinson is joining us. So what's your sense as to the relationship between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens right now? For instance, was that just kind of a small blip? Because we saw his reaction. Was it a small blip that he knew was coming but still kind of stung? Or is that relationship more damaged than that? It's Yeah,
3: it's a, that's a good question because I don't know that
1: we're going to have that answer right away. I mean, it was
3: was clearly emotional, you know, for him to see Hollywood Brown get dealt. Um, He retweeted uh, pretty explicit reaction to to Hollywood Brown getting dealt to the the Arizona Cardinals. And then I think, you know, he had the WTF tweet after Tyler Lindemann came off the board. Um, Maybe he thought, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to go and get a receiver with that pick. That didn't happen. Maybe it was, not so pleased about that. Look, the other players that he's going to be thrown to is just not a ton of experience there. Clearly um, that was the one explosive guy that he had a, a good connection with that goes out the door. And what I thought was interesting was, you know, you kind of find out in the wake of it that Hollywood Brown had asked for this trade that, you know, he says Lamar Jackson knew how he felt and that he had told Lamar Jackson even prior to last year, he wasn't feeling the system. Now, You can read into that a lot of ways, but look, wide receivers are getting huge money right now, but they're getting huge money based on digits. You're putting up numbers. I don't know that Hollywood Brown thought, hey, if I stick around in this system, which is so leaned into what Lamar does well, which is a two-way game, if I'm ever going to put up the kind of numbers that are going to draw the massive mega contract extension that I might be looking for. That's typically what players say, uh, what they mean when they start talking about a system. So, it's, uh, you know, you're like, does this decision get made because of how the system's built around Lamar Jackson? And does Lamar Jackson have to now understand that, that, you know, maybe he's part of the reason why Hollywood Brown wanted out. Mm
1: -hmm. Charles Robinson is joining us. All right, so what about this? Despite what Odell Beckham tweeted, Debo Samuel was not dealt during the draft. So, Charles, you did not get scooped by Odell on that one. (laughs) What is your sense, though, as to what Debo wants? Do you think it's about money? Is it about how he's used? Since we're on this topic, is it about being closer to home? Is it the system? Is it something else? Where do you think his head is at?
3: You know, he's, he gets so upset that
1: people are like trying
3: to figure this out, but it's because he's, he hasn't really put a finer point on it. And I would say it's all of the above what you just said, all those things. I think, you know, when you talk to people that are familiar with what's going on here, there is a sense that he would be um, inclined to be a little closer to the, to the East coast, which is where he grew up. Um, I think there has to be a contract extension there. And particularly the way he's used in that offense Um you could make an argument that he should be the highest paid receiver in the NFL because he's not just a receiver, he's a running back and he does it willingly and he does it really, really well and adds a dimension to an offense that very few players can. And, you know, so I I would say, you know, contracts part of it as well. And, you know, he was really close to Mike McDaniel, which I thought was interesting. And when Mike McDaniel goes out the door and ends up with Miami, I almost wonder if he feels like I lost, you know, the, the, one offensive mind here that I vibed with on a consistent everyday basis. And now, you know, okay, Kyle and I are cool, but maybe I just don't feel the same way I did about the coaching staff. I hate putting words in his mouth, but Devo's got to come out at some point and say, you know, maybe add some definition to why he's really putting his foot in the ground here. And I'll just tell you this real quick every team that inquired about him the draft picks that would have had to have been surrendered. And I mean, when you talk about the Jets throwing in the 10th overall pick as part of an offer and the 49ers saying, no, that means the compensation for Debo Samuel would have had to have solidly outpaced what the Raiders gave up for Devontae Adams and, and what the Dolphins gave up for Tyree Hill. So that's saying something about what the the Niners think about Devo.
1: No doubt. One last thought: You've got a piece up on Yahoo right now about Deshaun Watson and Trevor Bauer. MLB announced that Bauer is going to be suspended for two years following sexual assault allegations. What impact, if any, could that have on discipline for Watson?
3: I mean, we don't know because it, it's hard to compare leagues when they're um, obviously suspending players or, or you know coming down with personal conduct punishments, but. I think, from an optics standpoint, there's no question that it's going to weigh on the NFL and and where this moves forward with Deshaun Watson. And the NFL is clearly being really deliberate about the the investigation. Roger Goodell came out uh, during you know the draft weekend and said, "Hey, there's no timetable for this." I think an interesting thing that maybe not a lot of people know is that um, the depositions in the Deshaun Watson case are not sealed, and that means that the NFL absolutely could figure out a way to get their hands on everything that. Deshaun Watson says in those depositions that could weigh into a potential suspension, but you know this idea that well it's just going to be this standardized sort of domestic, um you know domestic violence type of suspension where it's just six games. I mean that was one one way to approach it, but now seeing you know uh, Trevor Bauer get suspended for two years and Major League Baseball basically standing up and saying we don't care if there are criminal charges, we don't care if there are no civil cases pending, we interviewed. The alleged victims. This is how we feel, and this is the standard we're setting. It's going to put the NFL, you know, in a spot where people are are definitely, I think, going to be inclined to question how the NFL approached this. If if it's something that um, comes back, they find something, and they just say, hey, we we have a CBA for this, and this is a pretty standardized
1: deal. Agreed. He is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo. He is host of You Pod to Win the Game. He is a friend of the program. He is Charles Robinson. My man. Thank you so much, Charles. Great job. Appreciate you.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for the vine
1: room. Always say that to you, dude. And I always mean it. So good. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Because you've got Philadelphia and Miami game one tonight. Joel is not going to play in that game. We know this. He's not going to play in game one. He's not going to play in game two. His availability beyond that is also in question. He's out with a broken face. Technically speaking, it's a broken orbital bone. But why don't we be real about this? A broken orbital bone is a broken face. And he suffered it on this play. Actually, before I roll that play... Check out the play before the play. Check out the one where he throws down a dunk and drops an airplane celebration on the Raptors as he heads down the court. Check that out first. Embiid. Ooh. Ooh. Joel Embiid Ooh. soaring
2: back Make to the defensive love end. Make them love you, JoJo.
1: All right, so that's Joel Embiid doing his very best Troel Embiid now I don't know if that airplane celebration led to him getting drilled in the face but I know the Raptor fans did not like that and I'm guessing the players did not like this celebration that much either and the Raptors broadcast crew really didn't like it
0: he's got 33 that's Bushley taking flight It from the crowd. That's that's just Bushley
1: Pascal on the inside, got it, and the
0: foul. You get what you deserve. Pascal Siakam going right at Embiid.
2: That's just uncalled for. I mean, be a good sportsman, and you know what it is. Matt Koma is a you know what, right?
1: Raptors TV. Hey, listen, I don't know if Pascal Siakam hit Embiid with intent or if that was some sort of retribution or payback. But I do know that the announcer believed that he did. He just said it. Quote, you get what you deserve.
2: Karma is a you-know-what, right?
1: Karma is a you-know-what, right? Quote, you get what you deserve. A A broken face for an airplane celebration? Is that what he deserved? I mean, damn, salty much? Pretty weird take at the time, and even worse right now, that the guy's out with a right orbital fracture and a mild concussion and not expected to even travel to Miami. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody elbows me in the face, elbows me in the face so hard that it shatters my orbital bone, I'm going to ask that you all remove the word mild. From the description of anything at all, if you take a shot like that, the injury report had better be a lot closer to shattered face and major bleeping damage than mild concussion. You know, maybe they like that because that'll make it easier for him to beat protocol. But let's be real about what that was. There's nothing mild about a broken face. Joe's face was not the only thing that took a hit on that play. So did Philly's chances in the series with Miami. I already did not feel great about their chances with Joe, and I love Joe. But without Joe, their chances in that series took a major hit. And so did the reputation of one Glenn Doc Rivers. This has been a rough playoff for the reputation of Doc Rivers, right? I mean, it is wild how fast life can change, how fast life comes at you. When the Sixers were up 3-0, he was getting credit, and he deserved it, for taking a 3-0 series lead against a tough Raptors team and doing it largely without anything from James Harden. Then they lose two straight, and then Doc has to fend off questions about choking away leads. Next thing you know, Doc is burying Andrew DeClerc and Pat Garrity in the process. Then, when he gets a much-needed win to close out that series. Then he has to defend why he's got beat out there on the floor late in the game when the game's already over. Hey, and by the way, Doc, it's a fair question. Why was the franchise and one of the league's MVP candidates out on the floor with a nearly 30-point lead and less than five minutes to go in the game? Doc said, quote, it wasn't four minutes left. And 29 points. He scored the bucket to make it 29. Everyone was in. The other team had all their guys in. The last five minutes of the game, we made the run the last minute of that game right before that. That's how we got up 29. He then went on to say, quote, After Joel made the shot and did the airplane, if you watch the game, I turned and said, I'm calling timeout the next possession. Not upset that he was in. You can make that a big deal if you want, but just go look at every team and every game and their guys are in until about the three or four minute mark, end of quote. Listen, it's a bad deal that Joe ended up with a broken face. And no, Doc Rivers did not break his face, but I doubt Sixer fans are going to see it that way. The way they feel about Doc, you'd think that Doc himself ran onto the court with a hammer to swing at Joe's face. Which, of course, he did not do. But, Doc, the optics are bad, no pun intended. It's a bad look for Doc. And it could not come at a worse time. Should Joel have been out there that late in that game? Of course not. No. He should have come out before he got his face shattered. But at the same time, you can't coach a game in fear of injuries. So, Was Doc in between a rock and a hard place? Take the starters out too early, then there's the risk of a Toronto run. Take them out too late, and Joe breaks his face. Or take them out, and if Toronto makes some miraculous run, maybe put them back in? Either way, it's a bad look for Doc. Especially when everybody is already coming for the guy. They were coming for him over things that hadn't even happened yet. And now they're coming for him over things that actually did happen. I mean, when's the last time you saw a coach take so much crap for winning a series? But that's how it's going to be from now until the end of this playoff run and probably even beyond that. Again, they were already in deep going up against Miami. And that was with Joel playing with a busted up digit. Now he's got a busted up face and he can't play. Like, if they do anything other than win a championship, Doc is going to get second-guessed for everything from now until when he does leave Philly. Some of it will be legit, some of it won't, and that's just how it is. Hate to say it, but that's the new world for you, Doc. So you better win it all. You want to make that goal? Win it all. Ice up, Joe.
2: Ice up, son. Ice Ice up,
1: Joe. Ice up, Joe. Coach him up, Doc. Coach him up. No, he shouldn't have been out there with a 29-point lead in under five minutes to go. Why? Because it got his face broken. But this whole take about he got what he had coming to him and Carmen's a bitch, that's a bad take. Come on. The guy threw him down and went for a little airplane ride. And you're going to say that's justifiable? Breaking a guy's face for that is justifiable?
0: You get what you deserve.
1: Easy, Maurice Lucas. I mean, come on. You get what you deserve? One of the best players in the league deserved to get his face broken for celebrating a play. It's not his fault you were down 29. Actually, it kind of is his fault that you were down 29 because you couldn't do anything about him. Saying that he got what he had coming to him is worse than having him on the floor at the end of a blowout. But that's going to stick to Doc, too. Unless they win it all. He didn't deserve that. He did not deserve to get his face broken for breaking out his airplane. Come on with that.
2: You would say, what a hell of a coaching job.
1: That was not a hell of a coaching job. Having that guy out there to get his face broken was not a hell of a coaching job. And obviously, if he knew he was going to get his face broken, he wouldn't have had him out there. However, guys get their faces broken. Anything could happen in a game. Hey, you know how I know that guys get their faces broken? It's not the first time Joe's gotten his face broken. He suffered the same injury in 2018. That's what happens when you're out there. And it's not the first time it's happened to him. 1-800-636-8686. I mentioned anything is possible. And now you got to go with this guy for a minimum of two games without And it might be longer than that. Sidebar. How are you going to play that one? Miami. Minus seven and a half. You know what that means, don't you? Now they need James Harden to be the James Harden they thought they made a deal for. Now they need James Harden to step up. Now they need James Harden to be Hall of Fame James Harden. Except he's no longer that guy. Philly fan. That's what I need. I mean, I could sit here in California and talk about how Philly fan feels. Why don't I instead go to Philly and find out how Philly fan feels? J.D. in Philly to the front of the line. J.D., what's up? How are you?
0: Great, Jim. Thanks for the line. it. appreciate the the love you give Philly because, as Jason Kelsey says, nobody likes us, but we don't really care. (laughs) But look, as far as Doc goes, here's what really tips the balance for us. First of all, Embiid is out there with a sprained ligament in his shooting hand. You know, anybody who's ever played basketball, you know, you get a rebound, pop you on the thumb, and you're done. So why is the guy out there, you know, because Toronto's going to make a 30-point run in the last four minutes? And then, unlike our boy Alex Bohm, who struck out with the bases loaded the other day and still got cheered because he got up and owned it, Stock didn't own it. Instead, he gets up there with all this, you know, mealy mouth. well, you know, the rest of the league, look at the playoff record. Yeah, we are looking at the playoff record. He lost 31 closeout games, and you scared the living life out of us, for, for crying out loud. Can you imagine uh, the run that uh, even the Stinkin' Canada would have on Philly if we became the first NBA franchise to lose a 0-3 lead? You know, then we've got uh, Larden, I mean, out there partying in Miami. The Lord knows what's going to show up tonight. And we also got an uh, allegedly great first-round draft pick that apparently has a weight problem because he eats Swedish goldfish all the time and goes from 340 to 360. I mean, good Lord. I mean, when he gets into the cheesesteaks, oh, bang. Well, Jim, uh, thanks for the Vine. Uh, war smack off season, and I'm out. My
1: man, J.D. in Philly. Rock him. That's what I'm talking about. Wreck him. If you can make it better, you cut the line. J.D. in Philly, adding some local flavor. Cameron Hayward is my guest. Cam, good to have you back. How are you?
5: I'm good, Mr. Ron. How are you doing?
1: Good, dude, good. It's great to hear your voice. Great to have you. I've got to start by asking you, you go back to the draft, your brother Connor watched you get drafted. I have to know, what was it like for you then to watch him go through the draft process and prepare for the draft?
5: Uh Well, the draft process, you know, I think it's its own monster. Like, you got to be on your P's and Q's, and, you know, there's a lot of unknowing. You can see the angst um, from the exterior now. Like, I remember when I was going through it, I was going through the ringer, and I just couldn't believe, uh, you know, the process. And then watching him going through it, uh, and then draft day, he was just so nervous, and You know, wanted to just hear his name called. And, you know, for it to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, it seemed pretty fitting.
1: I mean, Cam, it's amazing, right? Like, I had him on the show a few weeks back, and he was talking about what he learned from watching you. So what was it like when you found out that he was taken by the Steelers and then you obviously realized we're going to be teammates? Like, how did that whole thing play out?
5: Well, it was funny because, like, he stormed off because he was a little bit upset, and he went into – a room and, you know, I went in to check him after him him and, um, you know, his phone rang and I was like, who is it? And he wouldn't tell me. And, you know, he's talking to a coach, find out it's coach T, but, you know, he kept walking away from me and I didn't know who it was. Um, so then he got off the phone. Um, and then, Coach T called me and told me we were drafting him. He was like, We got him, bro. And I was like, Wow. My brother's really been holding on to this one a little bit too long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, so I want to follow you up on that, but you a few weeks back you were in the studio with the NFL Network and you were talking about Coach T, Mike Tomlin. I've always found mm-hmm. him to be a really fascinating leader, but I never actually get to speak with him. I'm really curious. Like You said that he's really good at cultivating relationships. Can you lay that part out for me? How does he do that, and then why is that so critical?
5: You know, I think he's the best at, um, creating in, individual relationships and finding out what motivates you and um, how to get the best out of you. Um, you know, there's been countless of guys, whether it's first, second, third round, fourth, even seventh rounders um, that, you know, might've come from different places, um, but he's able to get them to buy in and understand, you know, his quote unquote standards the standard um, with that. You know, I think, Uh, He's honest with you, um, and he challenges you, and through that, it just makes you want to literally run through a brick wall for him.
1: Cameron Hayward is joining us. Uh, Cam, having your brother on your team is awesome, but what's it going to be like when you've got to take him to the ground in practice? I mean, there's no way you're going easy on him, right?
5: No, if anything, I'm going harder. Right. Uh, You know, know, There's a level of... uh, There's a new standard he's got to keep up, and if he's wearing Hayward... Uh, on the back of his jersey, he's got to make sure not only my legacy, but my dad's legacy. And um, I know he's up for that, but you won't see me taking it easy on him at all.
1: I I hate to say that. I mean, you've you've already probably answered all these questions a million times. What you just said is really interesting. I mean, it's not easy being you, given who your dad was, but it can be easy being him, being who his brother and dad was. How do you think he's done in dealing with that over the years?
5: He's been good, you know. um, We always have to find our own lanes, right? And um, I chose to go to Ohio State over Pitt all those years ago, and then I found my way back to Pitt. He chose to go to Michigan State over Pitt, but then he found his way back to Pitt. Um, And, you know, I think you're going to create your own legacy um, and you're going to build upon it. Um, You know, Coach Tress once told me, he said, you know, back in Ohio uh, they have a street named after him, after his dad. And Coach Tress's motivation was, I want a highway named after me. And so with that, I wanted a highway named after me, after my, after going with my dad. And now Connor's got to just continue to go and uh, expand on that as well. Great
1: story. I love that Cameron Hayward joining us. Speaking of Pitt, it's not just your brother who's arriving, but the team also selected mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett in the first round. What was your reaction to that pick?
5: Man, I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I got to watch Kenny. Uh, these past couple years and um, you know haven't got a chance to really interact with him but uh, I can see the type of leader he is um, you know he's got some wheels he hits people with the fake slide I don't know if you want to keep doing that at the next level but um, he's got a great arm and a, a good kid and uh, we got to embrace him and put him bring him into the uh, steeler uh, steeler life so we'll see
1: Okay, that's Steeler life, it's interesting you said that. I was going to say, now that Ben Roethlisberger is retired, does it feel like there's a changing of the guard for the team? Or is that Steeler life as you reference it, the team identity, the culture? Is it so strong that the Steelers just keep on being the Steelers?
5: I think the culture, you know, outweighs everything. Um, you know, we've had good players, great players, um, and they've all continued to just keep this, this ship running, keep this, bu- this bus keep going. Um, And as newer guys come in, and I know we haven't had a quarterback change in so long, but um, there's a legacy you have to uphold. There's a tradition and a history you have to respect. Um, And I know Kenny knows that, but that's for every draft pick. That's for every player. That's for every coach. That's for every trainer. Um, We live and breathe that, and we embrace it, and we make sure we're better because of it.
1: Cameron Hayward is my guest. Cam, you had an amazing tweet during the first round, quote, On a plane, watching the draft, and someone is ripping farts left and right. My focus is being tested. End of quote. Let me tell you something. I would laugh at that, except I don't think that's funny. To me, that's a a reason to go. And there aren't that many reasons to go, but that to me is almost a universal reason to go because the guys who do that, the people who do that, know that you can't pin it on them. So to me, that's really dirty pool, man. That's infuriating to me. I'm not laughing, by the way. What are your thoughts on that? (laughs)
5: <laughs> it, it was it really caught me off guard i was not ready for it not and me it always happens i hate it
1: that's why i'm so pissed it, God, i'm sorry
5: Go yeah ahead. It, and like the ending to that story is the guy next to me was sleeping and then woke up and ran to the bathroom so i found out who it was <laughs> <laughs> that is funny and, then
1: Yeah, I I guess, but I I think there's more to it than that. So that guy's asleep. It's not conscious. Maybe he's got an excuse. (laughs) I'm telling you, there are guys who do it who think it's amusing because they know we can't stick or pin them on it. So anyway, I I understood that tweet completely. You know, you and I have talked about the Hayward House and the work that you do through the Cameron Hayward Foundation. You've got a suiting event coming up for Mm -hmm. Craig's Closet on May 10th. For people who do not know what that is, exactly
5: what is that all about? So we're taking some kids um, locally in the Pittsburgh area um, that have been thriving in school, um, but, you know, been tested and gone through some hard luck and um, we're going to be able to provide suits for them, um, you know, similar to dress for success, but we get to do it for young men um, for job interviews, college interviews and prom interviews. I mean, prom and, you know, I remember Dion used to say, you look good, you play good. And um, we want to provide that for people. We want to make sure um, these kids have a suit that they can rely on and know, hey, I can feel good about uh, going off into the future and, uh, in in, you know, conquering my dreams.
1: It's a great cause. Cam, one last thought. You know, ever since you and I first started to speak, it was clear to me that if this is what you want to do when you're done, you've got a career ahead of you in broadcasting – but you were out at the broadcasters boot camp. Not everybody's going to put in that time. I'm curious, what was the experience like for you? And you being who you are, you could probably just wait until you're done playing and just walk into a job someplace. So, why was it important for you to actually go through that process?
5: Well, I, I, I felt like I had a lot to learn. Um, you know, I don't like to rush anything, and I like to be very patient and thorough when I, you know, make. Big decisions, um, and broadcast boot camp was a great way for me to learn about the other side of, you know, media. Um, it's one thing to talk to media; it's another thing to be part of the media, and um, it's it's a whirlwind. You have to be prepared. Uh, I would love to do it in the future, uh, but hopefully, I got a I got a, a couple more years, if not more, in me to make sure we get the Super Bowl before I retire.
1: That's it. It will always be there. The other side, the broadcast side, he is a defensive tackle with the Steelers, a four-time All-Pro, a five-time Pro Bowler, founder of the Hayward House, which is hosting Craig's Closet on May 10th, Cameron Hayward. Cam, great to have you back. Thank you so much. Great talking to you, as always.
5: Thank you, Mr. Rome. Appreciate you having me. Good night now!